Uh, today our text is to set the tone for the upcoming year, uh, 2024. Uh, we're seven days into the new year, and I believe it's important as a church, both rooted in Reedy Creek, that we focus in on what our main perspective should be, not only for this new year, but throughout our lives as believers. Uh, how should we focus our attention on what God has called us to do? I was speaking with a good Baptist member yesterday. Uh, this uh, gentleman uh, is not a pastor. He uh, attends his church and is faithful, and he said, Pastor John, Jesus is coming back soon. <laughs> and I said, Yes, he is. We do not know the day or hour. But I think so many times churches may mean well. Churches tend to get caught up in uh, social movements, in denominational movements sometimes, in political movements, in many things that tend to refocus their mission, uh, their message. And I think we need to focus on what is most important in the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. Today, I want to kind of refocus our perspective. What is really major? What is really of true most importance in my life, in your life, in our lives? What is more important than anything else in our lives? As we see on the screen, it says, get ready to worship the next slide. Uh, we will begin in a moment, but I have a video I wanted to share with you. I, I really appreciate uh, Brother uh, Nelson for putting together this video. Uh, it really is interesting because I uh, appreciate Jacob today teaching our lesson about God's sovereign will and our understanding, trying to understand what God's will is for our life and the command of God. But there are many out there who who even question, is there a God? And I want you to hear the words of a gentleman who is well-known on television. He is a celebrity person who has his own show. And a few years ago, as a professing atheist, he shares these words that to me are challenging about what the Christian's real purpose should be all about. Uh, Pastor Gary, I read this week about five trends in the next generation of how we need to communicate the gospel. And this is significant. So listen to these words, his words. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. 
I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Bible is true and yet there are many people like uh, this gentleman who have lots of money they have been successful and to some degree famous yet they're not certain about what God's word teaches as we look at our slide and are reminded of the importance the sermon today I want to talk about the truth the whole truth so help me God and it got me interested in where does this phrase come from swearing in a witness well this goes back to the time of the Romans this honesty oath uh, I will tell the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth so help me God uh, this phrase goes back to the times of the Romans it goes back to the old English trials in England in the 13th century 
uh, Mr. Noah Webster in 1787 referred to this witness oath or honesty oath as part of, an, of early American practices. One document records that witnesses after reciting this honesty oath, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, that many of these witnesses the Bible as confirmation of the accuracy of their testimony. But this morning I want to share the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, concerning the serious topics of judgment, hell, and heaven from the Holy Scriptures. Next slide, we see that our text today is found in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, and 21, 1 through 4, and we just read that together. Uh, Matthew 10, 28, we're reminded where Jesus said, and fear not him or those that can uh, destroy the body or kill the body, but fear him or reverence God who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Those are strong words from Christ. I know we live in a generation in which many televangelists are either afraid or unwilling to talk very much about hell and judgment and the glory of heaven. And so the truth about judgment today, the truth about hell, and the truth about heaven. Next slide. In just a moment we'll get there. I want to share with you a couple important things before I get there. There have many, been many people over the years that have made all kinds of predictions. I mentioned in Sunday school that uh, the manager of the Grand Old Opry fired Elvis Presley and said, you ain't going nowhere, son. <laughs> well, boy, was he wrong. Michael Jordan was cut by his coach when he was in ninth grade. And yet we know what a great basketball player Jordan became. And so as we delve into our text today, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, we understand how important this text is. Uh, years ago, I heard a song and found out the history of the song. It was written in 1964. This gospel song in 1964 sold more than a million copies. It was entitled, Sorry I Never Knew You. The message of the lyrics of this song are very powerful. In fact, some people have testified that as they heard this song in the 1960s, they actually accepted Christ after hearing and understanding the lyrics. The lyrics go like this. Last night as I lay sleeping, a dream came to me. I dreamed about the end of time, about eternity. I saw a million sinners fall on their knees to pray. The Lord sadly looked at them, and this I heard him say, Sorry, I never knew you. Depart from me forevermore. Sorry, I never knew you. Go and serve the one that you have served before. I thought the time had fully come when I must face the trial. I told the Lord that I had been a Christian all the while. But through his book, he took a look and sadly shook his head, then placed me over on his left, and this is what he said. Sorry, I never knew you. I find no record of your birth. Sorry, I never knew you. Go and serve the one that you serve while on earth. In my dream, there was my wife and children. I heard their loving voice. They must have been so happy because they did rejoice. 
Their robes of white were around them. Their faces were all aglow. My little girl looked over at me, and this I heard her say, Daddy, we can't go with you. We must dwell in the joy of our Lord. Sorry, for we still love you, but you'll never be our daddy anymore. Now, when I awakened, I had tears in my eyes, and looking all around me there to my surprise were my loving babies, and I knew that it was a dream. Down beside that bed of mine, you should have heard me scream, Father, who art in glory, I know you gave your only son. Father, please forgive me, for I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Interesting and powerful words from this artist writing a song, Sorry, I Never Knew You. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready if Jesus were to come today? Are you ready if death came to you today? The reformer Martin Luther wrote these words, quote, he said, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and devil are attacking at that moment, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. When the battle rages, the loyalty of the Christian soldier is proved. And to be steady on the battlefield is mere flight and disgrace if we flinch at that point in the quote. What is Luther saying? It is our duty and responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. Do not be afraid to speak the whole truth, so help me God. There are many hirelings out there posing as chaplains and clergy and pastors and televangelists these days. David Jeremiah shares this interesting story. Late August in the nation of India, a shepherd attempted to lead a flock of sheep over the railroad tracks. As there was suddenly an oncoming train that came and killed 60 of the sheep and wounded 40 other sheep. As they investigated, the shepherds had fled and had failed to stay and protect those sheep. They had abandoned the sheep. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the good shepherd and loves all sheep and will not abandon us or harm us. A real shepherd is faithful to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help him or her to God to be there for the sheep, especially in time of need. There are many hirelings. That's an interesting King James word, isn't it? Instead of a shepherd, it's a hireling. They are hired to pose as shepherds. And many today that are men or even women of the cloth that speak are not willing and honest to speak the whole word of God. They would rather share fables and myths and opinions and conjecture and human interest stories. They speculate, hypothesize, and emphasize culturally acceptable points while they ignore dealing with doctrine with eternal consequences. They prophesize, exercise demons, and even facilitate healing. Yet some of the saddest words in the Bible were spoken by Jesus Christ in Matthew 7 when he said this, quote, on that day, the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
End of quote. Today, I have a great admiration, as many of you may, for the Salvation Army. I have friends that have served as chaplains in the Salvation Army. They do a lot of good things. It's interesting that the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, said these strong words. Quote, Listen to the Bible and hear Christ bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned beg you to go to their house and witness to their brothers and sisters. And then look Christ in the face, in the eyes, whose mercy you have professed to obey. And tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in your march to publish his mercy to the world. End of quote. We live in a world, we live in a church world where people are sadly afraid to witness. They're afraid of being mocked or made fun of for telling people the plain teaching of God's word. A man went down to a train station and people were getting off the train and loved ones were meeting and greeting those of their family as they got off the train and some were kissing and embracing with great joy their loved one who had just gotten off the train and they were going home. And, but this man noticed some would walk up and one man in particular was placed in handcuffs and the authorities were leading him away from the train taking him to prison. His wife and children were weeping as the man was being led away. And this gentleman said, in that moment, I saw a picture of Revelation chapter 20. It will be a great day of sadness and of weeping for those whose loved ones will be sent away, separated from God forever. It will be a great day of rejoicing for those who have trusted and believed in Christ. And so today, we want to focus sometimes on the importance of Though human beings make prophetic pronostications, only the Word of God is always true. We want to talk about the truth about the judgment. Notice with me in Revelation 20, verse 11, that we just read, reader's theater style. Then I saw, writes the apostle John, John the Revelator, then I saw a great white throne, and him, that's God, who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. John 5 tells us that the Father has given Jesus all authority. And so this verse says that God is seated on this great white throne. That is likely Jesus. Some scholars believe it could be the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the idea is the one who is the judge of the universe is seated on a great white throne. Now, if you're like me, you've heard people say, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Well, you're right. But you better see what Revelation 20:11 says. There's a great white throne, and God is seated on that throne. And it says that this righteous judge has a presence, a righteousness, a perfection about him that commands universal respect. It says that the earth and sky fled away verse 12 and I saw 
says John the Revelator, on this great white throne that God is sitting on, that Christ the judge of all is sitting on, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Notice, not singular, but plural. There is Christ, God, seated on the throne, and the books are open. And notice verse 12, John says, I saw a book open, which is the book of life. Interesting, our second lesson is those who had been dead of all types. Notice verse 12 says in the ESV, great and small. Doesn't matter who you are. The status, the money will not matter on the day of judgment. Doesn't matter your nationality, your ethnicity, your race. Doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or just a person no one's ever heard of. On that great white throne day of judgment, great and small, all people of all types will be standing before God to receive a judgment, a sentence. Notice these books are open and in specific there is a book of life. Verse 12 says, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Well, Pastor John, doesn't the Bible tell us that we are saved by grace through faith alone? Yes, it does. Isn't it interesting here that at the great white throne judgment, every person will be judged according to what they had done? Now, the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers, we believe. There will be a beam of seat judgment for believers. The works, good and evil, that believers have done, they will give an account, 1 Corinthians 3. But this is a great white throne judgment that is probably exclusive for only unbelievers. Why is it important to understand that they will be judged for their deeds? Because they have no grace of God that is cleansing them from their confession to receive Christ to stand in their place. Your works, you think they're good enough. You think your good deeds are better than your, or more than your bad deeds. But every person needs to have the grace of God because when the books are open, every thought Everything that a person has done that is imperfect and sinful and selfish will be revealed on that great white throne judgment. So the books are open. These books are used to judge all those that are dead. Notice verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 12 says, they were judged according to what they had done. Verse 13 says they were judged according to what they had done. Verse 13 uh, introduces to us an interesting concept. It uses the word death and Hades. Hades is a word that is translated in English many times, hell. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, there is a word sheol. In the New Testament, there is the word Hades. There is a word Jesus used for the English word hell called Gehenna. There is even another English word or Greek word used, translated as hell or pit in Peter that says Tartarus. It's interesting that people will debate and discuss and argue over 
the composition of hell, what's in hell, what's hell like, where is hell, instead of understanding they don't need to go there. There's an old cliche, curiosity killed the cat. Well, a lot of human beings are too interested in the details and visible proof of hell. They need to be interested in being prepared not to go there, whatever hell is like when they get there. Notice there's a judgment. All that are at this great white throat judgment are judged according to their deeds. John Piper says, quote, I am not saying that only perfect people are saved. There are no perfect people on this earth. We sin every day and every good work we do is tainted with sinful remnants of corruption. I am saying that a person who goes on willfully rejecting the commands of Jesus for his life has no warrant for salvation, end of quote. Mr. Piper is correct. None of us is perfect. None of us can be saved by our own good deeds or works because we'll be judged by those works, both good and evil, on the great white throne judgment. However, there is a way not to be judged, and that is to accept Christ today as your Savior. If you've not accepted Christ, today is the day of salvation. So we see the truth about judgment. There will be a judgment one day. When people say, only God judges me, they are correct. One day God will judge all of us. Notice the next screen. The truth about hell, verses 14 and 15 of Revelation 20. Gospel of Matthew says, Don't be so upset and worried about what people can do to your body, but be reverent and fearful about what God can do if he sentences you to go away and be separated in a place of darkness of hell of separation forever. Be far more concerned what the creator of the universe thinks than what people around you think. That's the point. We reverence and fear God's opinion over any human opinion. And so notice in verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. Of fire. This is a terrible thing. In fact, in our lesson, first lesson under the truth about hell, notice uh, on the screen the truth about hell, lesson number one. Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, says verse 14 and 15. And this is called, interestingly, the second death. Now I want to pose this question for you on the screen. You see it. Once born, Twice dead, question mark, or twice born, once dead, question mark. What do I mean? Everyone is born, that's why you're here today. I used to joke when I would give my testimony and say I was born at an early age. Well, we all were born whether we wanted to be or not. We are all Human beings, 8 billion or so on this planet right now, every person that has ever been born was born once. But only believers who trust in Christ are born twice, amen? Born again from above. I would rather be born twice and die once than to be born once and die twice. John says, 
those who, whose works are not right in the eyes of a perfect and holy just judge Christ, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Heavy words, but a reminder from the Scripture that the teaching of the Bible is true. Anyone who did not have their name written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Those who have a proper fear and respect for the Lord understand their eternal destination is more important than their physical location and status. In other words, people are all upset about things that happen on this earth. But what about the next life? Did you know that in the early centuries, Pastor Sean, that Christians who were being thrown to lions literally in the first, second, and third century, they were lining up to be martyred. Do you know the Greek word, chaplaintary, of course you know this, comes from the word in English for martyr. There were Christians lining up. You, know, you wouldn't see that today. Christians are putting on masks and hiding in their house. They're afraid to die. But Christians in the early centuries after Christ said, I'm ready to die because I want to go to heaven. They had such an outbreak, it was almost like they were ready to commit suicide, to die for Christ so they could get a white throne, a, a white robe of righteousness. Interesting way of thinking, isn't it? There is a concern in people's lives for the physical, their health, Yet there should be a far more important concern about where we go when we die. You know, I think in our culture, people are afraid to come across as judgmental. And believe me, we should not be pharisaical or judgmental. But the Bible also says that Christians, believers, practice good judgment and reasoning and it is rational and reasonable to warn a person that they need to be ready to meet God when they die. You know, I asked God, Pastor Gary, to help me have compassion as I preach this today. It's hard to conjure up compassion, isn't it? If we tell people about heaven and hell, especially about hell, and we don't have a tear in our heart, in our voice, in our eye. We're wasting our breath. People, at a minimum, have to know that God has put a burden on our heart for them that they might be saved. That is not an attitude of superiority. It is not a Gnostic attitude of like, I know this and... You're just silly because you haven't accepted Christ and you don't know God like I do. But it is a sincere desire to see all people saved. Martin Luther, as we go to our next screen, said, I had rather be in hell with Christ than go to heaven without him. Interesting words. He said, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands of years. End of quote. I found this interesting. An American missionary to Africa was speaking with an African tribal chief who was a Christian about why churches in Africa saw God work so many miracles. The Christian tribal chief replied to the American missionary. He says, here's why, sir. In America, you have blessed insurance 
In Africa, we only have blessed assurance. (laughs) Pretty strong statement. We need to focus on God, on Christ, and what he's done for us. And why he has given a possibility for all that none should perish spiritually and die a second death, but that all should come to repentance. Notice the truth about heaven, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven, says John, a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The analogy of husband and wife is connected to the analogy of Christ and the church throughout the teaching of Scripture. John says, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see on the screen, there's going to one day be a new heaven and a new earth. Talk about reset button. Talk about recalculating, reconfiguring. One day, God will make all things new. There will be a majestic New Jerusalem coming down from the heaven, our text says, prepared as Christ is for his bride, the church. A loud voice will declare God will now dwell with his people and will comfort them in their difficulty. He'll wipe all tears from their eyes. It's interesting uh, when you read that I read this story. A little boy and his sister were with their mom outside in the garden behind the house and a big bumblebee flew up and stung the little boy. He cried and jumped in his mama's arms. The, the bumblebee continued to fly around, and the little girl was really frightened. The little boy finally quit crying. His tears dried by the mom, and the mother said, Son, sweetheart, you don't have to be afraid of that bumblebee. And the little girl said, But, but he stung my brother. And the mom said, Yes, but look. There on the brother's hand was the stinger still in his arm, and she pulled out the stinger and said, See, that bumblebee left his stinger in your brother, but you can't be stung, honey, because the bee has lost its stinger. And when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death and the grave and hell, and he took away the sting of death forever and ever so that you and I as his children and created human beings could live in the glory of heaven one day. Aren't you glad that Christ has taken away the sting of death? People are afraid to die. Don't be afraid to die. Don't be afraid to live in this life and in the next life. Eternal life begins in the now and now, but it continues forever in the glories of heaven. A new heaven, a new earth. Jim Elliott and other missionaries that were ministering to the Aukian Indians years ago. There have been books written and movies made. These five young missionaries were speared to death by this tribe. Amazingly, years later, Jim Elliott, who was martyred by these, these, uh, this tribe of, of folks that didn't understand the reason they came to share the gospel, His wife, Elizabeth Elliott, was part of a movement that went back 
And many in this tribe were one to Christ. One of those that was one to Christ was a lady named Dawa. Dawa was one of three women that accepted Christ after the martyrdom of Jim Elliot and other missionaries. She told me that she saw those five men, including Elizabeth's husband, Jim, as they were speared to death. She was hiding in the bushes. She told them and told Elizabeth that after she saw those men killed, the missionaries, she saw strangers. She used the word in her language and accent, koada. She said, I saw above the trees, koada, singing. She said, I didn't understand it at the time. But when I was taken to a Bible bookstore uh, and walked in and heard the music in the store, that was the same kind of music that those angelic beings above the trees were singing as your husband was speared to death. Micaiah and Chemo, according to the journalist who scribed this report, confirmed that they also heard singing and saw what Dawa seemed to describe as angelic beings. Dawa verified hearing the strange music and even described what appeared to be lights moving around. Apparently, all the participants that saw this bright multitude in the sky were scared because they felt something supernatural was happening. Their only familiarity with the spiritual world was one of fear. Dawa said that this supernatural experience drew her to God when she later heard about Christ through Elizabeth Elliot. The hope of heaven led the Apostle Paul to write these words, quote, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that's the truth about hell and the great white throne judgment, Paul says, we persuade men. Paul continued, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. What should be the mission, the focus, the perspective of Reedy Creek Baptist and Rooted Church in 2024? Witnessing to people about Christ. Getting people to come and receive Christ and be saved and be prepared for when they die. They might go to the glory and beauty of a place Jesus prepared, heaven. Ron Hutchcraft shared these comments, why people don't witness. He says, 90% have failed in witnessing attempts in the past, so they're afraid to witness. Some are biblically illiterate. Some leave it to professionals or pastors. Some believe we shouldn't impose our faith on others. A man once testified in one of D.L. Moody's of meetings that he lived on the Mount of Transfiguration for five years. How many souls did you lead to Christ during those five years, said Moody? Well, none, said the man. How many people got saved? I don't think anybody did, said the man. Well, said D.L. Moody, we don't need that kind of mountaintop experience. When a man gets so high, he cannot reach down and save poor sinners. There's something wrong. Amen? David Garrison has done a lot of research in the Muslim Islamic community going back to 2011. I recently read his report. He said he studied out a thousand believers who had accepted Christ out of an Islamic background. It took him three years of research. A quarter of a million miles he traveled through 44 Islamic countries. More than a thousand interviews later, he came to this conclusion. We are witnessing the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in the history of the world. 
He said, quote, Though the Muslim world is quite diverse and can be clustered into nine distinctive cultural regions or rooms in the house of Islam, I was intrigued to find movements of Muslims to Christ in every room in the house of Islam. It was as if an invisible mind and hand were orchestrating these unprecedented movements, end of quote. Uh, Harrison says, I later did a historical review of nearly 14 centuries of Muslim-Christian interaction to see if there had been any other movement like this in past history. Surprisingly, I discovered that more than 85% of Muslims who have received Christ in recent years, that it all began within the last 30 years. He said, I don't think it's coincidental that 30 years ago when the 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world prayer movement began, that many began to come to Christ. John White said, quote, a good witness is not a salesman, a good witness is a signpost. It doesn't matter how young or old or pretty or ugly you are. It matters if you clearly point in the right direction. So be a witness for Christ. I close with this story. A young man enlisted and was sent to his regiment. First night in the military barracks, there were about 15 other young Marines with him. Those guys were passing their time playing cards and gambling. Before he retired, this young Marine fell to his knees and prayed. His comrades began to curse at him, jeer him, and threw their boots at him. This went on one night after the next. Finally, the young man went to the chaplain and asked for advice about what to do. Well, said the chaplain, you're not at home now. There are 15 other men in the barracks that have just as much right to do what they want. It makes them upset and mad to hear you pray. And the Lord will hear you just as well if you say your prayers in bed quietly and don't provoke them. A few weeks went by and the chaplain did not see that young Marine. But one day, a few weeks later, he ran into him and he said, By the way, did you take my advice? I did, sir, he said, for two or three nights. How did that work? Well, said the young Marine, I felt like a whipped hound. And the third night, I got out of bed, knelt down, and prayed out loud to God. Well, said the chaplain, how did that work? The young Marine said, well, we have a prayer meeting there now every night. And three of my fellow soldiers have been converted, and we're praying for the rest to get saved as well. Sometimes witnessing about heaven and hell and the judgment is not easy. But we are giving people the best possible news that will last forever and ever and ever. We're not just helping them make a little money to make their life better just on planet Earth. We are trying to share with them the greatest gift, the greatest story ever shared, the gospel of Christ. I don't want to be at the great white throne judgment, and I don't want you to be there either. And so I hope that as we sing that you'll come today just as you are and accept Christ. Is there anyone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Today is the day of salvation. Come right now and say, I want to be ready for the judgment. I want heaven to be my home, not hell. I want to, in simple childlike faith, accept Christ into my heart and let his grace save me. He's sovereign He's all-powerful. You just have to humble and submit yourself to his grace and love. Come today as we sing, just as I am without one plea. Let's sing together. Let's stand.